The series is titled Transforming Grace. Today we're in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And we have a guest speaker, a dear friend with us here this morning, Randy Newman. Randy, uh, many of you, have, if you've been in church here for a while, you may have heard him uh, speak here before. He's a dear friend. Many, for many years, Randy served over on the campus at George Mason University, where he worked with crew and was involved particularly in outreach to uh, faculty members there. And Randy's had a wonderful ministry of speaking and writing to help Christians like me, and I've really benefited from your work. Um, But he, he helps us learn how to engage people who aren't believers in a way that's respectful and in a way that involves real dialogue. He's been great about helping us learn how to ask good questions and have good conversations. And recently, a couple years ago, Randy wrote a book called Engaging with Jewish People, and um, that connects with the, the topic or the, the, the passage that we're in this morning. But I wanted to just ask Randy a couple questions. Uh, so, Randy, it's great to have you here. Thanks. Thanks great for to be here. Us. Yeah. So How you doing? You, I'm, oh, oh, no, you, you asked a question. Sorry, sorry. Well, I was doing great until you asked me to pray that your voice would hold up through the whole message, and that made me a little nervous. So yeah, I'm actually so a little you're, nervous you're taking right over. So I'm transferring that anxiety out I got about 10 minutes worth there, of a so. sermon. <laughs> so in the book, you write that um, many Christians are fearful mm-hmm. about talking about Jesus with Jewish people. Why is that? Hmm. Well, um, first of all, I think many Christians are fearful about witnessing to anyone That's just true. because... Um, it is difficult, and uh, they may get rejected. And in fact, we know that some people will reject us. So there's a fear of rejection. Um, with Jewish people, it's just kind of heightened, I think, because there is um, uh, some some unfortunate things in the history of the Christian church of saying some things and doing some things to Jewish people. So uh, um, it's, it's heightened emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in our world today, there's so much emphasis on tolerance and all paths lead up to the same point on the top of the mountain. Um, so it's, it's offensive for anybody to tell anybody else that their religion needs some changing or adapting or something new that Jewish people need to believe in Jesus. So it's, it's, it makes sense to me that there would be a lot of fear. Um, God works through fearful people. So that's great. Yeah. So how, how is this book going to help us with those fears? Well, um, uh, the, the subtitle of the book is uh, Understanding Their World, Sharing Good News. It's part of a series, and all of the books have that same subtitle. And I was thrilled to be part of it because it, the first half of the book is understanding the Jewish mindset, the Jewish world. Mm-hmm. It's not just enough to know what they believe. It's what shapes them, what are the emotions, what are the struggles, what are, what's the backstory? And so I hope that that's, uh, that's helpful in that book. And then uh, the second part then does give some very practical things. Here's some good things to say. Here's some things not to say. Uh, here's some questions to ask. Um, it's pretty short, and they made me write short, which is a challenge for me. But, um, so I hope you're all comfortable for the two-hour sermon. <laughs> Uh, uh, 10 of which will be mine and the other hour 50 will be Mark filling in after my voice gives out. Trying to read your notes. Uh, Please. Um, No, I mean, I'm I'm trying to give some very practical suggestions of here's some things, here are some topics, here are some ways to get into. Here's how to think about the gospel and how it relates to all people. And here's how it particularly connects with Jewish people. Yeah, and so I have some uh, friends who are Jewish believers and they told me something that really got my attention and they said... 
that many Jewish people who come to faith in Jesus do so through relationships with people who aren't themselves Jewish. Right, right. Hence the need for, for a book like this. So hmm. have you Good. found that to be the case? Oh, yes. I mean, what's your experience with that? You know, I mean, it's almost uh, counterintuitive, and I think a lot of Gentile Christians think, oh, I can't talk to Jewish people because I'm not Jewish. I, I, I need to get my Jewish friend to come over and talk to them. Um, but um, they've done, re- I mean, different ministries have done research on this. More than half, well over uh, more than half of Jewish people say a crucial person in the process was a Gentile believer. I, I don't know if I can explain it about why that is. I just know that that is true. And so if you're not Jewish, but you're talking to Jewish people, you shouldn't think that's a disadvantage. Uh, God uses that. M- maybe it's just less... I don't know, it takes away some of the emotional charge to it. I, I, I don't really know. I don't know if I can explain it. Um, but but it's, it's true so much of the time we should count on it. Yeah, okay. So this book is available in our bookstore after the service. And um, now you were here 2018 or 2017, I can't remember which, but you were in process working on another book Yes. that's on its way to being published. What's right. the title and when can we expect uh, it? What did we come up with as a title? Um, we all came up with several good ones. The publisher rejected all of them. <laughs> uh, so the, the title is, whether you like it or not, I don't know, I, wait, I, gotta, I, I wrote it down. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Unlikely Converts, subtitle, uh, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism. Yeah, okay, all right, great, good. You'll like it when you'll see it on the cover. You'll hear, I'll show you, no, I mean, you'll, anyway, July is what they say is when it'll come out. It's also short, isn't that good? And it's all of these stories and what I learned and what we need to know about talking to people today, so. Well, we'll look forward to having you back when that comes out. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll work out a really good deal for, you know, buy one, get two for double the price, right? On the Romans. Thanks. Romans chapter 10. I was so thrilled when Mark asked me to be part of this series. Um, I was not the least bit surprised, but I, but I was delighted um, that you're not skipping Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, maybe that doesn't sound uh, all that odd to you, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've been part of Bible studies or discussions where we studied Romans 1 through 8 and then 12 through the end of the book. And I looked at 9, 10, and 11, and we just skipped those chapters. And it's amazing how often that is. Or you can find Bible studies of Romans 1 through 8. And, and then there's the whole second half of the book that's left out. Why, why would you do that? And I, I think I do understand why people skip it. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is difficult. It's really confusing. Um, there are very, very painful parts of these three chapters. It's about Jewish people. It's about Israel. It's about where does Israel fit into God's plan, and that has been controversial in the history of the church, and that has been difficult, and there are emotional passages, and so people very often skip it. They say it's a parenthesis. Well, don't you read things that are in parentheses? I mean, as a writer, I, sometimes I put things in parentheses. I, 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 I don't put things in parentheses saying, skip this. <laughs> of course, writers want you to read every word and go, wow. Um, but, um, um, but God's word, we should read everything. And even if there are things in parentheses, by the way, I don't think Romans 9 through 11 is a parentheses. I don't think it's a pause. I think it's the final culmination of 1 through 11 of this long, extended, wonderful argument about the gospel. 
The subject of the book of Romans is the gospel. And the message of the book of Romans is that the gospel is a message of grace. So, so um, why would we skip those three chapters? And so I'm delighted that you're not. And I was very thrilled to be able to come and speak and be part of this series. We're looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So if you have a Bible or if you have one on your phone, please let's take a look at it. Let me read God's Word and then dive in and ask, how, how do these four verses fit into this book of Romans? And what difference does that make for us? And how does this help, help us have a heart for Jewish people? Romans chapter 10 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ, the Messiah, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you open up our eyes to see it clearly. We, open, we ask that you open up our hearts so that we would uh, not just understand it, but feel the weight of it. And we pray uh, that you use this time together uh, for your glory and for your namesake. We pray in the name of our Messiah, Jesus. Amen. So um, I, I'm assuming uh, you've, you've been in Romans now for several weeks, so I'm assuming that you zoomed in quite a bit way back in chapter 1. You remember from uh, 12 years ago. Um, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 is, I believe, the thesis statement of the book, the whole entire book. Paul said there, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, and that word gospel is the title, the theme statement of the whole entire book. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Why? For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is saying that this gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel means because it can bring salvation to anyone regardless of who they are, Jew, Gentile, living according to the law, breaking the law. Um, And he's saying that this is in line with the Old Testament scripture. So he quotes an important phrase from the book of Habakkuk, but it's not just from that book. It's a a, a theme, a statement that's repeated many, many times in the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures. And so Paul is saying this gospel is such good news. That's why I'm not ashamed of it. That's why I'm delighted to proclaim it because it doesn't mean do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you don't keep all those rules, eh, sorry, too bad. The gospel is a message of grace. It's a message that says you can be saved if you place your trust in the one who did keep the law for you. And so we come to Romans 9 where Paul is, he's, he's building up this whole entire case all the way through um, this book of Romans. And he's saying, look at how gracious God is, that everyone needs the gospel and every, anyone can be saved by the gospel. And he, and he extends and, and then in the first four chapters, he basically says, and this applies to everyone, people who've never heard about Jesus, people who have heard about Jesus, Jewish people, Gentile people, righteous people who keep the law, um, people without the law who break it, every 
everybody needs the gospel. That's chapters 1 through 4. 5 through 8 is, and for those who believe, look at how wonderful it is. Look at how it transforms you. Look at how it makes you new creation. And it's as if Paul doesn't want to just end there. He says, listen, if you really want to know how good the gospel is, look at how gracious God has been to the Jewish people. You want an extended reflection on the power of the gospel and the grace of the gospel. Look at how gracious God has been to the Jewish people and look at how he's not going to give up on them and that he will continue to work and continue to work so that there will be Jewish people who are saved from within that community. So Romans 9, 10, and 11 is not a parenthesis. Um, it's, It's an extension of that argument that this gospel is such wonderful, wonderful good news. But then look at how Romans 9 begins, and you looked at that a couple of weeks ago or two weeks ago. Paul says, now as he's reflecting, after, after this extended celebration in chapter 8 about how wonderful the good news is, he then says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. This is Romans 9 verse 1. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Messiah for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Do you feel the pain in these verses? When I said to Mark that I'd be delighted to come preach, I forgot how emotional this week would be leading up into this. And yesterday as I was wrestling through this, oh, that's right. This is is one of the most painful passages of all of the Scripture. Listen, you need to know there is great joy in following Jesus. There's, there's delight of being able to celebrate and worship all day long, um, when, what, regardless of what you're going through, and, and to sense the, the fruit of the Spirit in you if you're a believer. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has come in you. There is fruit of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience. It's wonderful. And you could think, oh, this Christian life is just joyous all the time. Well, there's a great deal of joy, but in the midst of that joy, there can also be, and there is, an amazing amount of pain. And it's the pain of seeing that there are many people around you who don't know this. And uh, for Paul, it's particularly the pain of his own brothers and sisters, his ethnic identity, the Jewish people, who are lost. And it's tremendously painful. And if you signed on to the Christian faith just thinking that it was going to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time... You did not realize that you were following a crucified Messiah. And so there is pain in the midst of that joy, in the midst of how wonderful it is to have eternal life and to know that your sins are forgiven. In the midst of that, there's also this ache of, there are people around me who don't know this. And I want to encourage you to embrace that and allow it to fill you and allow it to motivate you to tell other people, even if it's unpopular. So then we come to chapter 10, and the first thing that we see is that Paul's desire in his heart for the Israelites, for Jewish people, is that they may be saved. In other words, point number one, Jewish people need to be saved. I'm hoping that as I say that, you're thinking two things. One is, well, that's as obvious as could be. Yes, there it is right there in the text. My heart's desire, my prayer for God, for the Israelites, is that they may be saved, meaning that they're not saved. They need to be saved. Yes, it's as clear as could be. And I hope you're also feeling, oh, this is not going to go over well. This is about as unpopular as you can be. Jewish people need to be saved. 
But listen, you need to feel this, and you need to feel the weight of it from Romans 1, 16, when Paul said it's the gospel, it's the good news for everyone who believes, for the Jew especially, and also for the Gentile. If, if, the, if the gospel relates to anybody on the planet, it relates to Jewish people, the ones who have the scriptures in, in the give, delivered to them through their prophets, Isaiah and Micah and Malachi and all the others. If Jewish people don't need, the, need Jesus, then nobody does. If the gospel isn't for Jewish people, it's, it's, it's not for anyone. Jewish people need to be saved because everyone needs to be saved. So I, I don't think I need to belabor this point. I think it's as clear as could be. I think you just need to feel the weight of it. Um, Paul prays for their salvation, and we should too. I hope that you have some kind of system where you're praying for non-believers who are around you. You have a list in some kind of prayer journal that you're keeping track of people that you're praying for. And I know some of you wrote that name down a long time ago and you're still waiting for an answer. I have those, those names too. And we need to pray that God's word advances around the world to places where people have not been receptive before because God is powerful enough to work there. If Paul could pray for Israelites to be saved, we can pray for the gospel to go anywhere. And oh, by the way, isn't it wonderful? Your church is connected with a church that's being planted in Japan, right? You know about, right? You, you, yes, I'm not making this up. Um, um, uh, Japan has been a, a, a land and a country resistant to the gospel for hundreds of years, and it's softening now. And you've got a, a, a representative there. It's wonderful. We need to be praying for all sorts of parts of the world that have been resistant to the gospel, that God would work and soften them. And as we pray for Israelites, we pray for people in the land of Israel, we pray for Jewish people all around us, we may think, boy, this seems like a tough mission field. And it is. And you need to say, nothing's too difficult for God. So that's point number one, is that Jewish people need to be saved, and we need to be praying that God works. Jewish people need to be saved because everybody needs to be saved. But then Paul um, kind of digs in a little bit. Why is this? Why is it that they need to be saved? And it's because they can't save themselves. Look what he says in verse 2. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But here's the tragic thing. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Um, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness, which is this free gift of grace that cannot be earned, and they thought that it needed to be earned, and they thought that if they just obey all of the rules, and so the Jewish uh, laws from the Old Testament have been added to, and there's laws upon laws upon laws, and that you think that if you just keep all of these things, then you'll be righteous, but that never works. And it doesn't work for Jewish people. It doesn't work for anyone. Again, Jewish people can't save themselves because nobody can save themselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says earlier in this very book. And so um, they sought to establish a righteousness of their own. That's the natural human default mode of salvation. Never works. Here, let me put it this way. The opposite of the gospel of grace is seeking to establish our own righteousness. We feel good about ourselves if we, whatever, we create our own laws. 
There, there was one uh, teacher of the Bible, a theologian, who was once asked about explaining about this whole thing about the law and keeping of the law, and he came up with this illustration that I think is pretty good. Imagine you had some kind of voice-activated recorder around your neck or in your pocket or something, and it always clicked on whenever you made a statement about how people should live. People shouldn't do this. People should do this. People should give this amount of money. People should do this. You come up with your own law, and it clicks on on this recording. After you die, God will play back this recording, and it will be your law that you came up with and you didn't keep. We don't keep our own law, let alone the law of God. So, so we need something other than our own law or even the law of God. The law was pointing to the fact that we need something better. Paul says in the book of Galatians that the law is like a, a, a schoolmaster, a, a tutor, who guides and takes people to the point where they realize the law won't work. I hope you've come to that point. I hope you've found that you don't live up to your own law, let alone the law of God, and that you need, there's got to be some other way. I, I know I've uh, shared this uh, here before, but so I, uh, pardon me for the repeat, but I, I grew up Jewish. I grew up in suburbs of New York City. I grew up going to a conservative synagogue. I took Judaism and my faith uh, more seriously than the rest of my family. I had my bar mitzvah when I was 13 years of age. I thought that was going to connect me with God on some kind of a really deep, great way, and somehow it didn't work. So I kept meeting with the rabbi to learn more about Judaism, learn more about the rules and the laws and the practices. And, and uh, when I was 16 on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I thought, okay, come on, finally, it's got to kick in sometime. And so I decided on that Yom Kippur, I was going to keep all of the laws. And let me tell you, on Yom Kippur, we got a whole lot of them. I mean, we got a whole lot of laws to begin with, but then we kind of pile extra ones on Yom Kippur. Um, because if you're going to impress God, that's the day to do it. You know, that's the day that he's done making the decision about how your year is going to go. Um, ten days earlier on Rosh Hashanah, you confess all sorts of sin. You go to a body of water and you throw stones into the water. And you, each stone is like a sin that you're trying to get throw away from you. You're repenting. And you're repent for 10 days. How's that for an exciting holiday? And it culminates on the worst of all Jewish holidays, Yom Kippur. You know why it's the worst? Because we fast. We don't eat. I can't tell you how tragic that is. Listen, um, uh, every Jewish holiday can be summarized with three short sentences. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Um, that's, that's in the book that you can buy at the bookstore and you'll, you'll laugh again. Um, they make lovely Hanukkah presents too. Oh, sorry, stop, stop. Okay, so, all right. So Yom Kippur, you don't eat. You fast. You don't drive in a car. You walk to synagogue. You confess sin all day long. And at the end of the holiday, I'm walking home and I thought it didn't work. I don't feel any closer to God than I was 24 hours ago. What did I do wrong? What didn't work? What, what sin didn't I confess? And I was dressed up in a suit. I was walking and I looked down and I saw my, sho my shoes. I was wearing dress shoes because you wear dress shoes with a suit. And I remembered something that was taught in Hebrew school years before. On Yom Kippur, you don't wear dress shoes. Yeah, that was good. Thanks. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Why? Now, there's all sorts of different explanations. No surprise there. Um, but it's too much like work or it's too much like a luxury or it's too much like the ordinary uh, luxury of life. And so on Yom Kippur, you don't wear dress shoes. And I thought, I'm wearing dress shoes. I forgot. That's why it didn't work. I wore the wrong shoes. Maybe next year. And then I thought, that's the stupidest thing in the world. You've got to be kidding me. Really? 
That's how you get to know God. Keep this law, keep this law, do this, put this fence around this law. It'll drive you nuts. And I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken to say that is a great deal of modern Judaism. It, it's not all that different from the Judaism that Jesus encountered when he talked about the Pharisees in his day. When he talked about they, they, they build all of these extra things around the law. They come up with ways to sort of keep the law by circumventing it. And he talks about the fact that they missed the major points of the law. They, they, kept, they were really good about minor fine points about like spices and dill. But they lost the big picture of being righteous, of being holy, and realizing that the law can't make you holy. And so they sought to make a, a righteousness of their own. They sought to establish their own righteousness. That's the exact opposite of the gospel. That's not just Jewish people who do that. Jewish people can't save themselves because nobody can save themselves. And we try to make it, but it won't work. And so Jewish people get Jesus wrong. They think he was just a teacher, just a rabbi. And as a result, they get the law wrong. They get their scriptures wrong. All of us can do that. If we, don't get, if we don't get who God is, if we don't get that Jesus is God, then, then everything is out of whack in our life. If, if you're here today and you have a faulty view of God thinking that he's just like you and that he'll say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, that he's not really holy, or if you have a view of God that he's this horrible ogre and you better do this, you better do this, and you've got a distorted view of God, then you, everything else in your life is out of whack. Our world today is so terribly messed up in relationship with other people, with family, with understanding about what is the good life, because we get the starting point wrong about who God is. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, um, I'm hopefully, my guess is you've all done this once, but hopefully not recently, where you put on a shirt and you don't line up the top button. And then you, you get all the, and you get all the, and you go, oh, and you got to unbutton, you got to start all over. Like I said, I hope that hasn't been recent. But uh, yeah, okay. But you got to get the top button right. We got to get who God is and who Jesus is. And if you get that right, then our relationship of what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean um, to have uh, either be male or female? What does it mean to be in relationship with people? What is marriage? What is work? What is money? A million other things. And so Paul tragically sees that they don't get the law right because they don't get Jesus right. Um, after that uh, Yom Kippur, when I thought there's got to be some other way, uh, I now look back at it. God brought believers into my life. Most of them were Gentile believers, like Mark was saying, uh, that, uh, how God uses us. And it was Gentile believers who knew my God better than I did. I thought, this isn't right. This isn't fair. I'm part, of the, I'm part of the chosen people, and yet they're praying to God like they know him. They're praying in English, which I thought was an unfair advantage. I thought he only knew Hebrew, and that was not my first language. But, but no, they knew God, and they prayed about everything, and I was so intrigued. Um, I didn't become a Christian or believer right then. I went off to college. I got into a lot of crazy things. I thought life was absurd and meaningless, so you might as well drink a lot. Somewhere in the midst of that, I met a Jewish man, Mort Lowenstein. Don't you love that name? And Mort had been a Jewish believer for over a decade. And he had Bible studies in his house on Friday nights of the book of Romans. <laughs> and uh, I would go over to Mort's house for these Bible studies, and he would say, I'm more Jewish now that I believe in Jesus than ever before. He said, Jesus made me kosher. 
He said, my Judaism makes so much more sense to me now that I realize that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of, of all of those prophecies. And I got to see that, yes, you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. In fact, it makes so much sense. It makes sense of our Judaism. It makes sense of the New Testament. If, if you don't understand Judaism, you don't understand your Old Testament, you won't, you, you'll miss so many things in that New Testament. So please don't ever believe it if people tell you don't read the Old Testament. Oh, wait, don't get me started. Um, so they fit together, and, and they fit together pointing to um, the fact that we can't save ourselves, that the law can't save us, but we can be saved. So um, um, Jewish people need to be saved because everyone needs to be saved. Jewish people can't save themselves because no one can save themselves. But here's the wonderful news. Jesus can, Jewish people can be saved through the Messiah because anyone can. Do you see it there in verse 4? Um, by the way, do you see how um, each of these verses begin with the word for? Um, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may save. For, I bear witness, for being ignorance, and now for Christ, the Messiah, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Messiah is the end of the law because he brought the law to its fruition of what it was pointing to. It was pointing. It had pictures excuse me, of all of these animal sacrifices that couldn't possibly take away sin, but they showed us how very, very serious the problem of sin is. It's so serious that it needs to be paid for by death. But the death of an animal can't do it. The death of an animal is only pointing to someone who could possibly pay for sin that really would accomplish atonement. Who could that possibly be? but it's only God himself. And so the Messiah atones and fulfills the law and therefore brings the law to an end. Um, that word end is kind of an interesting word. It's, it's, it brings it to an end chronologically. We're no longer under the law, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's the Messiah is the goal toward which the law pointed. The, the Messiah is the culmination of the law. The, the, the Messiah changes the law because now we're not under it, we're under grace. So many Jewish writings, from even from Jewish rabbis who are not believers in Jesus, say that when the Messiah comes, he will rewrite the Scriptures so that we see it differently. In fact, Jesus did. He didn't rewrite it, but he helped. We now see the law as preparatory. We see the law as pointing. And so now we're not under it. It has been fulfilled for us. And so Jewish people can be saved because anyone can be saved because it's not based on us. Isn't that wonderful news? Um, it, it means that high point, I believe, in Romans uh, 8 where it says um, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Jesus. Why? Because, because it's not up to us. It's based on something that has already been fulfilled. When, when we're, we're struck by a guilty conscience and we're, we, we're convicted of sin, we realize we said something, we did something that we really shouldn't have done. It was wrong. And, and we try to put up with all sorts of different excuses. And then we go, no, there are no excuses. It was wrong. It was sin. It was horrible. We can either respond with, oh, I'm just such a horrible wretch. This is terrible. I'll just have to try harder. Or we can say, isn't it amazing that, my, that sin that bad has been paid for? Lord, you, you've atoned for sin even of that kind. 
may the reality of that grace break me and remold me and transform me so that indeed I am less likely to fall into it. Here, um, I, I do realize on, on some level that this is kind of easy to grasp. Okay, yeah, Jesus paid for our sins. If I trust in him, I'm forgiven. I have eternal life. Um, I realize uh, th- there's no other way of salvation because, because there's no other way for people to get saved. They'd have to be perfect, and nobody's perfect. Or, or we realize it the way Galatians 2.21 says that if, that if righteousness could be attained by keeping the law, then Christ died in vain, and there was no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. But Jesus did die on the cross, so it makes so much sense. And so we understand why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, because there's no other way that could work. And we understand in the book of Acts where it says, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, because only he is a crucified and resurrected Messiah. But we also realize, oh, people are not going to like this. So on the good news side of the equation, I want to tell you, there, there's wonderful things going on today in the world of people coming to faith, and particularly Jewish people. I invite you to go to the website, ifoundshalom.com, and watch testimony after testimony after testimony of Jewish people who have found shalom. It's a wonderful tool. And Jewish people who don't know Jesus are going to that website in record numbers all around the world. It's the wonders of the Internet. I invite you to go visit websites of ministries like Chosen People Ministries or Jews for Jesus and hear stories about people all over the world, Jewish people coming to believe in Jesus. I I invite you to delight in stories like this one, that um, in Israel for a period of time there was this massive influx. It's still still continuing, but not quite as great. But in the early 1990s, I believe it was, there was a massive influx of Jewish people from Russia escaping persecution that they had been experienced for, for almost 100 years, coming to Israel, and they were like blank slates because they hadn't heard anything about any kind of religion because in Soviet-dominated atheist Russia, they weren't, you know, you didn't hear about any kind of religion. And so they moved to Israel, and they were greeted by the nation of Israel and by Jewish believers who invited them to their Bible studies and invited them to classes to learn how to speak Hebrew so that they could survive and do well in the land of Israel. And, and non-believing, Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus, you stay away from those Messianic Jews. They're going to try to convert you. They're going to try to talk to you about religion. Don't, don't, don't listen to them. And Russian Jews who had been told for 70 years what to believe and what to be, not to believe said, don't tell us what to believe. I'm tired of suppression. We've had, we've had, we've had decades of people telling us what we're not allowed to, to hear. We'll, we'll go listen to anybody we want. And there's massive numbers of Russian Jews coming to faith in Jesus because they were told not to listen to them. Um, so so I, I, delight, I, I delight in this. I invite you to join in it and to hear of stories. I, I, I tell it in the book. I've, uh, some of you have heard me tell this before. Um, my mother, my Jewish mother... Yes, recall all those jokes about Jewish mothers. Okay, you got them? Okay, they're all true and they're not funny. And, um, and, and guilt is not a joke. Um, why are you laughing? Anyway, so, um, um, but my mother, my Jewish mother came to faith in Jesus at age 75. She's 91 now. She witnesses to all sorts of people. She figures, what are they going to do, kill me? Um, she told me a while ago, Randy, I got to witness to one of my Jewish doctors. Really, a Jewish doctor, Mom? Who do I? Anyway, sorry. Um, 
I, 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 it's just astonishing. I, I sent my mother a copy of my favorite book to give to uh, Jewish people. It's called Betrayed by Stan Telchin. And it tells about a Jewish man whose daughter went off to college and became a believer, and he felt betrayed, so he set out to prove her wrong. You kind of see where this is going. He became a believer. His wife became a believer. Their other daughter became a believer. He had this amazing ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Anyway, I gave my mother the copy of the book Betrayed. She read it. She thought it was interesting. And then she gave it away to somebody else. I was furious. I was like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, years later, a friend of hers gave her the same book, and she read it, and she thought it was great. She sends, <laughs> she sends me this email, says, have you ever heard of this book called Betrayed by Stan Telchin? This, this is the beauty of, of email, because you can respond before you respond. Do you know this? Have you ever heard of the book Betrayed? Yes, I know that book. I gave you that book. You said it was interesting, and then you gave it away. <laughs> um, yes. I have heard of it. Why do you ask? Send. She said, it's very interesting. You should read it. <laughs> that was the book the Lord chose to use to lead my mother to faith in Messiah. Um, my, um, my dad, watching this, thought, well, you know, your mother, she's into this kind of stuff. My dad was mad at God for many, many years. He saw a lot of evil and suffering. He fought in World War II. He saw things that he couldn't talk about. It was so evil. And for a very long period of time, he said he didn't believe in God. I think he was just angry at God. Um, then he started believing in God, but didn't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff. But he didn't want my mother going to this Messianic Jewish congregation on her own because he, he felt that she wasn't a good driver. <laughs> oh, if only you knew. Um, so my dad drove her to keep her safe. If that doesn't motivate you to pray, I don't know what will. But week after week after week, my dad heard the gospel message of Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the end of the law, Jesus providing salvation so that we could experience the righteousness of God, a righteousness that comes by faith to anyone who believes, a righteousness that's not based on keeping the law so that you don't have to seek to establish your own. And so uh, week after week after week, he heard this on, at a, um, uh, a Passover Seder that the congregation hosted. They came to that part. If you've ever been to one, I sure hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you get to go to one, um, particularly a Messianic Jewish Passover Seder where you see and you hear about how Jesus' Last Supper, the, the, the event that we reenact and relive each time we celebrate communion. Um, but Jesus took uh, elements that were in the Passover Seder that were pointing to God's sacrifice. And he said, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. And so at the end of the meal, when uh, Jesus uh, broke bread... Um, he said, this is my body, this is my blood that is shed for you. And at this Messianic Jewish Passover Seder, they said as they passed around, uh, this bread is for people who believe in Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah. And if you're here today and you believe in him, take, eat. It is, it is the Messiah's atonement broken for you. But if you're not a believer here, let this pass. Let this go by and think about what it would mean to be a believer. When that bread came to my dad at age 86, he took a piece of bread. And my mother, sitting next to him, Jewish mother, looks at him with a look that only Jewish mothers can give. 
And uh, my dad looked at uh, uh, his wife and said, I, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. My dad became a believer four years before he died. Um, when my dad was 90, his heart finally gave out. It had all sorts of heart issues leading up to that. And um, he worshipped in that Messianic congregation for four years as a believer and loved the song Amazing Grace. He requested that we would sing Amazing Grace at his funeral. I wish you could have been there. It was a room of about 200 people, half of whom were unsaved Jewish relatives and friends. And most of the other people were unsaved Gentiles that he knew from the neighborhood and the community center. A very small percentage of people were believers. And we sang Amazing Grace at the end of the service. We, we, we stood up. We had the words printed in the, in the bulletin. We sang, and oh, how I wish I could have been in, uh, on, on the conversations. I think um, unsaved Jewish people read these words as saved a wretch like me. And they were like, Marty wanted this song sung at his funeral? Wretch? I didn't think Marty was a wretch. Why did I mean, he's a nice guy? And like, why are they saying that about him at his funeral? But he, he requested this song. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> but isn't that the most wonderful news that saves wretches like us? People who can't save themselves, who can't establish our own righteousness. It's the most wonderful news in the world, and we should tell everyone, Jewish or Gentile. Amen. So My heart's desire and my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. And I certainly hope that is your heart's desire as well. So will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you opened up our eyes to see that you are not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, you're... Messiah, the Savior, the one who pays for our sin. Um, Would you help us see it all more clearly, more fully? Um, Would you help us communicate it to people around us who may not want to hear it, but who desperately need to hear it? Um, Our Father in God, for anyone who's here today kind of checking it out or calling into question or wondering about it, or people who haven't come to that point, would, would you bring them what they need? Would you help them understand? Would you help them receive? Would you help them accept what this means to trust in the Messiah as final atonement for all our sin? We ask that you would use this church, Redeeming Grace Church. Would you use this church in in ways far beyond anything we could ask or think to reach out to our neighborhood, uh, neighbors, um, to people who don't know you? Would you use us in ways that bring glory to you? For we pray all this in our Messiah's name. Amen. Stand and sing. Oh, soul, are you weary? 